I might be able to finagle it, even if it's off a little bit. You know, so. yeah. Maybe I'm. Maybe it'll just seem like I'm really chewing on every response, like really, really <laughs> wanting to articulate myself. You really thinking about it before you put it out there, giving it the full Charlie Kaufman experience. Well, you know, this 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 one this one's a thinker. This 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 yeah. this one. Oh boy. Uh-huh. Well, like pretty sneaky stuff. Sis. Well, and like, because I, I I forget who maybe dropped the like the horror tag in the description, sort of. I think Raymond might have mm. uh, when he was kind of pitching it a little bit. But I mean, like the oh, just going in with with that basically being the only expectation, and then also having like just some some Kaufman. Uh, having been a, a, a victim of Kaufman's work before, uh, <laughs> just kind of knowing what I was kind of getting in for, but yeah, it was that was something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, we can get into it, but I think first I should say that this is I've never seen any of this. But my name is Andy. There's no Sammy. I'm TJ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Raymond. And yeah, we're one boy down this week because Sammy is uh, going back into the hellscape that is the uh, the United States education system, and uh, he has a shit ton he has to do. So he messaged me and said, "I have had no time to watch a movie. I'm gonna have no time to do a podcast." So we're holding down the fort this week without Sammy, but we got the boys here, and I think we I think we have the proper boys to talk about uh, the movie that I picked. We don't this week, we don't need that glorified new- babysitter. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He he, um, roasted me all weekend for picking this movie. Why? (laughs) Why? He was texting me going... He he kept texting me going, Wow, real original. You picked an indie horror starring Tony Collette. You have one taste. I was like, wow. Sorry for liking Hereditary, you sick fuck. (laughs) Wow. Can't wait till he actually eventually watches this and sees his opinion. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and Sammy's oh, Sammy's I theme j- is just like picking victims at random, like a serial killer. So, like, I he, he yeah. doesn't have any room to be talking about anybody having a theme. That's what I'm saying. We, we make making us all watch anime in August for no reason at all because he has his own standard he has to pull up. Screw that. We're not talking about a movie this week. This is fuck Sammy the podcast. <laughs> We're just gonna roast gross that that ham. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow <laughs> yeah yeah that's how I'm feeling no getting, no I, rough and I, rowdy love, here today. I love that stupid I love that stupid bitch but <laughs> <laughs> the the movie that I chose this week was the new Charlie Kaufman joint I'm thinking of ending things uh-huh which uh was there was not a lot uh out about this movie before Netflix earlier this year just said oh yeah we've financed and filmed the new charlie kaufman movie and then they dropped a trailer like two weeks ago like it was really not very long ago that was very um weird and didn't tell you a lot about (laughs) what the movie was about and then it dropped on friday and i feel like if you know charlie kaufman you know a little bit of what to expect with this movie and if you don't then this movie throws you to the wolves (laughs) And and you know that sometimes that's a, that's a necessary exercise. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes that's what you need. <laughs> but I'm uh, I'm interested to hear uh, what you guys thought about the movie. 
Well, Raymond's so, slightly outnumbered uh, as being the only uh, party that didn't watch it wretchedly high. So uh, I think maybe his, <laughs> his take might be fair. a little more of an I, even keel. <laughs> so I started it at like 10 o'clock last night because I was just like, you know, I it's over a two-hour movie. I knew it was Charlie Kaufman, so I was going to likely have to rewatch some shit if I like <laughs> happened to look away for a moment. And I sure did really early on. Uh, a couple times, but yeah, I by the time I finished it, it was after midnight. And it's like the the one thing I really saw online before seeing the movie was was people saying that they had watched it and then they had formed their opinion like the next day after like thinking about it all day and night. And so I was like, you know, I might as well start it now because I'm gonna end up thinking about it <laughs> throughout the rest of the day. And I didn't mm-hmm. plan I didn't plan on watching the whole thing. Uh. And then I was just so um, engrossed with trying to figure out what the fuck I was looking at that I watched yeah. the whole movie last night. So at midnight, I turned it off. I went to bed, <laughs> and then I looked over at my phone. It was one thirty, and I was still going. Okay, wait. So, <laughs> um, uh, I have seen a couple Charlie Kaufman movies. Um, I like a couple of them. I'm not super familiar with his work, but I knew going in that it was going to be. A really like meta heavy movie because that's the kind mm-hmm. of thing that he he seems to only be interested in telling is like stories within stories or a meta a story about something else and yes. uh boy I don't know if I <laughs> liked the movie as a movie but I appreciated what it's doing and I think it's a valid piece of art I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if I would like Unless I was really trying to, like, deep understand the film. I don't know if I want to, like, go back and watch it a bunch. Like, it's not... It's pretty. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff to... Like, I'm it, I'm sure it rewards multiple viewings. But, like, once I yeah. kind of understood what was going on, which was over an hour into the movie, I started kind of piecing stuff together. I was like, oh, okay. But it, not exactly, like... I mean, I think it's a good exercise in... Uh, I appreciate what he was doing but yeah I don't know if it was a great filmic experience for me but this is the one guy who does this thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that it's very much uh, not going to be a movie for white audiences to appreciate but for the people that enjoy this movie it uh, it hits (laughs) it it hits what it's trying to do Mm -hmm. pretty pretty securely I think What about well, you, uh, it's it's funny because um, uh, 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 Eternal Sunshine of the Fuck You, You're Crying, um, as I like to call it, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I watched that, um, you know, the first time it was when I would think I was like 18 and I hated it. And then I saw it again mm-hmm. later after I had, you know, kind of grown up a little bit more and been through like a little heartache. And, and, then, I, and then I was like, boy, oh boy. <laughs> And and mm-hmm. and again, I think I'm just at the proper time and place in my life, watching this movie where I was like, boy, it can stop subtweeting me anytime. <laughs> like, uh-huh. as far as like, <laughs> you know, once once you kind of get the gist of the fact that the the janitor character is sort of the one driving, you know, and right. and you know, sort of the same anxieties that I'm kind of encountering now being a little older and, you know, going like, am I going to die alone? You know, like, are these gray hairs in the mirror going to get any fewer? No. You know, like, so like, so it sort of touched on a, on a few of those things. And then even sort of like, 
you know, through this, you know, this ostensibly like a janitor guy's, you know, life as like the avatar of, of Jesse Plemons, um, you mm-hmm. know, having all these, you know, really, really, you know, pretty, pretty uh, ponderous thoughts about about the human condition and, and life in general about like, you know, do we actually like anything that we like or is it just based on, you know, or do we all just say the right words to fit in with the right crowd? You know, kind of a thing. Like, these are all anxieties that I've had and I've thought about. So it's like, you know, uh-huh. I mean, it's peppered in with, like, you know, references that really only, like, you know, a lot of, like, literati are probably going to, you know, get, like, you know, Brezhnev's eyebrows and all that shit. You know, it's just like, you know, yeah, this is, this is you know, an exercise in somebody who can make those references and wants to make those references and can't in his daily life so this is sort of a fantasy world where he can you know where he's applauded for making these references and Mm -hmm. and you know the work that goes into being able to make those references you know when the world has ostensibly you know not given him any reward for any of that because he's still pushing around a fucking broom at a high school (laughs) you know where he went Mm -hmm. you know so uh yeah yeah you know there's 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 a lot of layers uh to this to this film you know uh absolutely and and i think once you kind of appreciate the model of the fact that jesse buckley is is also sort of an avatar like it's sort of an amalgam of of you know several different experiences right she's not a real person she's just everything Mm -hmm. he ever liked put together into one facade Mm -hmm. and yeah i think that's something that i noticed kind of early in the first half of the movie Mm -hmm. is it was very apparent early on that i was like these are not fun characters <laughs> and and for the first probably 10-15 minutes I'm like man these are the two most annoying people in the world that uh-huh. should not be together and then once it hits like that 15 minute point and the car c- kind of continues going on it's kind of like okay that's the point yeah. uh-huh. and, then as, and then as you keep going on it's like they don't talk like people and once you stop like trying to be like man they don't talk like how people would talk they're talking like how your mind kind of wanders on constructs conversation mm-hmm. yeah they're not really having a conversation as if two people are talking to each other. It's like the internal monologue that you have inside your brain. Mm-hmm. And once, like, I figured that out, I was like, okay, this is much more... E- it's a lot, like, easier to listen to that conversation mm-hmm. and see how the movie well, goes. Well, and especially when the 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 movie is telling you uncanny, like, eerie, you know, catching people in lies... You know, like mm-hmm. those 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 first early things of like getting the name right. You know, it's just like, is she who she says she is? You know, like mm-hmm. like there there's there are all these things that are kind of leaning you in different ways, and like you know, like the creepy fucking farm, like that the barn door opening oh. above them when they were yeah. coming in, and then telling the story about like the maggots eating the pigs while they're still alive. I was like, what fucking? Mm. Mo-? And then we got creaky David Thewlis. Like, oh, oh my oh, god, no. Yeah. And he's he looks younger now than he did just forty five seconds ago. I don't know what the fuck is going on here. And and yeah. And so like it's it's almost distracting at first, you know. Like it was it was a 
It was a, uh, a an, an effective use of those of those filmmaking tools. Like you know, like regardless of, of whether you walk away liking the the movie from start to finish, you know, you you mm. as a viewing audience, you sort of have to give credit to to Kaufman for being an effective evoker of emotion. And mm-hmm. and so but then when you kind of start to get it is when it moves from like creepy to really sad. You know, like, and yeah. and so that's that's the turn that it starts getting into, and and the fact that it it can take these left turns here and there with like like uh, style and tone and and narrative and everything. Like when that fucking rom com bit happened or whatever with it like directed by Robert Zemeckis, I belly laughed I so fucking like, hard. I did too. Oh, I laughed really hard. Oh my God. And appar- apparently that was um the editor just put that in as like temp it's actually the actual credits from a robert zemeckis movie that they just took the ending credits from and put it on there and when uh charlie kaufman watched it he laughed so hard that he called up robert zemeckis and asked if he could use it he got permission to just use the credits from whatever movie that is amazing (laughs) yeah (laughs) that part was so funny and then but then the parts of that rom-com keep coming back into it also mm-hmm. because the waitress in that did you notice they that swap her out she's For like one shot yes in the car and then she's in the dance when number too i think at some point. she's yes. in the dance number. but the car the second car sequence when they leave the parent swap her when they yeah, leave, swap her in at one point yeah the in the range of lighting in that scene is insane and it's going with the conversation so like as they're getting darker and stuff it's like it was almost black at one point it was like i could not see anything but then there's other shots where it's like there's white light pouring in where they're very well lit and so very intentional well and every single shot in this movie is like completely thought out to the upteenth well and it's really interesting when she moves into like movie critic mode where her accent changes. Yeah, which she sounded like Hep- she sounded like Audrey <laughs> yeah, I love it. That was awesome. Like, <laughs> you know, puffing away on a cigarette talking about how none of this makes any fucking sense. And I was like, yeah. man, I, I like her. And uh, <laughs> But it was really interesting in that scene, the way that it conveyed the fact that that was sort of ground that he was, that was shaky for him. Where, like, normally he can, like, mm-hmm. throw a quote or an obscure poem or something and mm-hmm. feel really secure intellectually. But he was just like, I like the movie. And then she's just, like, <laughs> like tearing it apart with a bunch of Oxford words. And he's like, I'm sorry I like the movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah it's interesting. I, I did a little bit of reading last night when I ended up not being able to sleep because I was trying to construct what is happening in this movie. And I guess, like, she is doing a pretty spot-on, by Charlie Kaufman's standards, a pretty spot-on impression of the 1940s film critic. Pauline Kael. That... Like yeah, yeah. yeah. and <laughs> the what she says is a verbatim review from a movie, but it's not that movie review is not in the book that he oh, has that is in his Oh, room. so it's one that she's she's referencing one that he ha- wasn't familiar with. Okay, and that's that's right. Or like with. he's read it before, yeah. but it's not his like memorized whatever because right. he's memorized everything that he owns. It's, I was like, holy shit, we gotta go deeper. That's amazing. <laughs> There's so much shit in this movie that is like that. And I'm like, I, it just, it makes you, like, it is engrossing when it does those kind of switches. 
but it also like I rewound several parts two and three times to be like, did I miss something? Mm-hmm. And then once and, like I'm on board, once I'm like, oh no, it just it just did that. Like the pig and the billboard just be like, no, come. It's like, oh okay. <laughs> I feel like for most directors and writers, it would feel like really like uppity and mm-hmm. and snarky. But Charlie Kaufman is like the king of surrealism. Yeah. That it's like, I trust that he knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> Even if it doesn't make sense to me, 100% of the time, I'm sure it makes sense to him and there's a reason for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, okay, I could see maybe why that is happening there. And this is actually one of the, um, is based on a book. Mm-hmm. Right. And I read a couple things about it that were like, this book is very weird, but the movie is even, like, <laughs> weirder. Yeah. Like the the book is a little easier to understand, like the metaphors and and kind of things that it's trying to do, whereas the movie is more about the experience of it and less about like telling you exactly what's going mm-hmm. on. Well, well, right. and it's 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 an interesting exercise too with Kaufman stuff because I think now at a certain point, you know, he he knows who he's making the movie for. You know, in a way, as far as like you know, the the people that are that gravitate toward his work are generally pretty well read, so he can get away with a lot more of these references. Like I remember when she started um, reciting Bone Dog, I was like, I fucking heard this somewhere. Like I've 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 read this on Tumblr or something. Like I've I've heard this poem before, and so part of me thought that was like sort of lending to the, and it does. It, it sort of fun- double functions as like. Uh, you know, if you get the, if you get that, you know, if right. you knew that before, then that's another token saying like she's not who she says she is because she said that she wrote this uh-huh. and she didn't write this. And right. but then another part of it goes like, oh well, this is actually just you know another you know beautiful reference by you know an existing poet named Ava H D. And and you know it's it's an existing work that is being referenced or whatever, but you know mm-hmm. it uh, it it's interesting those those double functions of something because I guess I can't speak to those in, in specifically because I do get the reference, but like having somebody who doesn't have that point of reference watch this and then go, you know, does this pass the smell test for just like smart people talking, you know? <laughs> so well, it's like I didn't know it was an existing poem until you flash to his room and she picks up the poetry book and it's like it's on the poem mm-hmm. so it's like oh mm-hmm. but i was like i literally paused because i couldn't read what she was fucking looking at so i paused it and i literally stood up to my tv screen <laughs> and looked at it and i was like oh that's the poem okay and then i sat back down but i i got a feeling that it was a constructed thing but i it it took me until the that reveal that it was truly uh a, a plant <laughs> Of an idea. Fun mm-hmm. sidebar: Jesse Buckley is a fucking powerhouse in this. I never seen yeah. her in anything. I didn't think it. She was. I, I don't think I've seen. She her was in a. Yeah. She was in a movie last year called uh, I think it was Wild Rose yeah. that was supposed mm-hmm. to be just absolutely incredible because of her performance. So oh. I think she's kind of a up and coming. She's great. I think she's kind of like a dream for a the writer's writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Charlie Kaufman, who's she so... She can say anything. She can... Yeah, she's very good at reciting exactly everything that you want. 
Well, and what? So it looks like she's uh, she's in that show Taboo. Um, with, that was the mm-hmm. what the Ridley Scott produced one with Tom Hardy um, that I watched. Yeah, I can't oh. remember her part in it, but um, then uh, she's also in the Fargo show. Yes, mm. she's in the new season. Oh, yeah, well, the one with Chris Rock as the lead. I'm hyped. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this is also uh, an example of <laughs> this is the third movie that Charlie Kaufman has actually directed. Right, he had, I think he started he, with Synecdoche, right? Uh-huh, and then he uh-huh. he co-directed uh, Animalisa, mm. which have either of you seen Animalisa? No, no, that was like the first time he had worked with Thulis, though, right? Yes, yeah. because that's a stop-motion uh, animated film. Oh, with, boy. Um, completely done by Starburns Industries. Oh. That, oh. So the guy who's Starburns on Community is actually like a stop motion guru that did the show Moral Oral and a oh. bunch of different stop motion <laughs> sure. stuff for Adult yeah, Swim. Sure. And he's good friends with Charlie Kaufman because <laughs> they're both they're both weirdos. <laughs> and they made uh, they made Anomalisa, which is a very weird movie that doesn't need to be stop motion but about three-fourths of the way through makes the case that they could not could only be stop motion (laughs) okay that would be an interesting that is an interesting movie that i would be uh interested to show you guys and see what you think but there's three actors in that whole movie it's just david thulis jennifer jason lee they're playing two characters and then every other character child male or female is played by a voice uh, the same voice actor Ooh, okay oh. it's a it's very weird so if, if yeah if sammy gets to have his you know anime august then we can have our charlie cough month you know yeah that'd, <laughs> yeah. Be, that'd be good i like yeah. this little charlie cough month <laughs> but i mean he for a long time was just you know known as the screenwriter yeah, he's a great screenwriter right yeah i mean and being john malkovich is like incredible it's it's incredible. I don't like it as a movie, but I, I look at it and be like, okay, this is the, one guy wrote this thing. There is It's just like everything else he puts out. It's like only it's, one guy thinks like this. It's incredible that in 1999 they let him make, they let anybody no make shit. that movie. And it then, is such inside baseball for Hollywood. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> and then basically from there, it's kind of like, hey, whatever you want to write. <laughs> right, and then Eternal Sunshine is like beloved by tons of people who don't know anything mm-hmm. else that this fucking guy has yeah. done. And mm-hmm. it's probably, I think, the most commercial thing. Well, and, like, adaptation is him being hired to do an adaptation of The the Orchid Thief, mm. which is, like, a, non, a non-fiction <laughs> right. book, which he, could, he couldn't figure out how to really adapt into its own movie, but he was in a contract with the studio that he had to adapt it. So what he did was basically have writer's block and an existential meltdown and he wrote a script so he could be like, here's 90 pages. They'll never make this movie because he basically wrote it about himself having writer's block and not being able to adapt it. And they went, mm-hmm. this is great. Let's make it. Uh, you know? And I, uh, um, I mean, that movie was nominated. He got nominated with his uh, fake twin brother that he made up for the movie. Um, <laughs> he got an Oscar nomination. Amazing. Along with his fake twin brother that he insisted is a real person that he wrote the script with. You gotta... You, somebody else has <laughs> to mean, shoulder some of this blame. 
Exactly. <laughs> That's <He's>, amazing. It, <laughs> Just make up your own writing yeah. partner so it doesn't fall squarely on you. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a wonderful psychological compartmentalization technique for, for screenwriters the world over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it seems like he, he is a very rare breed of Hollywood where he just keeps being able to kind of do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And it works. Every time he does it, it's like, okay, it may not be my favorite movie of all time. I may not want to go back and watch it all the time, but I get what he's doing here. And, you know, there's no other movies like it. Right. This <laughs> there's is no like... one out there doing anything similar to Charlie. He's really one of the only people that's doing, like, true surrealism in movies mm-hmm. anymore, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you look at that guys like him and, like, Wes Anderson and, like, like Paul mm-hmm. Thomas Anderson. Like, those, those, those guys kind of get to run riot you know because they're they're afforded yeah. some trust because you know they, i think they were still sort of like riding that miramax wave you know at the time mm-hmm. to where that was actually like a still like a viable vehicle to do you know right. it was sort of like a second wave that you saw after like easy rider made a bajillion dollars you know then they were just like mm-hmm. they would throw a bunch of money at a bunch of hippies to go make something fucking weird and then you know whatever mm-hmm. you know it's like because Jack Nicholson was in, you know, Easy Rider, eventually he had, you know, did a bunch of acid and then wrote the script for Head, which is like the the monkeys movie or whatever when when yeah. they were trying to go all cool or whatever. And oh, so it's yeah. it's like some weird, you know, acid acid movie and you know, cuz like the and it's called Head because it was like the market gimmick of, you know, you know, from the producers that gave you Head was supposed to be the 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 joke from from then on that was like the whole vehicle for this fucking movie and it was made by a major studio uh because uh you know in the wake of these successes or whatever so you know it's it's nice when you kind of have these redwood figures like these fucking weirdos that haven't really been forced to do that too terribly often you know i mean i think david lynch Mm -hmm. is probably around there too except with the exception of like dune you know like that i mean he's he's basically made david lynch movies you know Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of those kind of guys in like big mainstream Hollywood right now. But the problem is like Disney sucks them up to do like a big name property, and then they're tied to it for your 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 Trevor. I mean, that's what happened to John Favreau, you know, and Trevorrow and Ryan Johnson even to a point before he like. I mean, he's still tied to Star Wars for like possible continuation of stuff, but he's doing his own thing. But it's like it was the whole idea is they would just give these. For like the last 20 years if you got like a guy who produces two big indie movies you then take them to do like a big mainstream hit for no reason well yeah and then they get they get tied up on that until they're mad about it and they're not good yeah you you Which dangle some like you know ip from their childhood in front of them and, and like mm-hmm. a like a 100 million dollar budget and then you know that they're going to do exactly what you know you want them to do uh, with also sort of having that that edge with being a critical darling for you know safety not guaranteed or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. Right, I think that I think the Trevorrow example for Jurassic World is kind of the 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 example of it going wrong mm. because uh-huh. they said, okay, you have this critical darling, which actually I've never met somebody that actually enjoys that movie very much. It's a neat premise. <laughs> I've heard it's fine. 
I've heard it's fine, but but allegedly Spielberg saw the movie, went, that's pretty cool, we should give this guy a shot. And the plan was for Spielberg to kind of shepherd him through doing a big budget movie like that. But what happened was Spielberg showed up and slapped his name on it and said, go make your movie, kid. And then Trevor got to go, like, you know, have a $200 million budget to make Jurassic World and do whatever he wanted. <laughs> I'm just gonna go try and take yeah. the paddles to Tintin too. Well, you guys, you guys go have fun. Clear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you can't have, you know, jumping from safety not guaranteed to Jurassic World is a giant shift. You know, back you needed to make three or four movies before you got to make Jurassic World. Right. You know. Well, it's like they're 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 getting this like critical fanfare because they pick they did something that's like unique or different and then you immediately try and like kowtow them to like the most generic possible thing and like the studio system when like who knows maybe they're kind of like a, a charlie kaufman where they just want to be left alone to do like a two-hander in a car <laughs> you know they're you're hopefully the, mm -hmm. the system like uh, doesn't fail them and they can they get the freedom after doing their big projects to go do stuff like Josh Trank just mm -hmm. did the Capone movie which apparently yeah. like, it's weird and it's like very divisive but it seems much like something that guy would do other than like a Fantastic, Fantastic Four movie Four. which he's is like a, a black mark on his record now well and like you know it seems like even JJ was mm -hmm. able to do kind of the more conventional Hollywood route where he, you know, he did TV for a while then mm -hmm. he got to do a movie and then he got to do several budgets. You work up to Star Wars. Right. Whereas it it seems like more and more in the last couple of years you don't have those middle movies anymore because mm -hmm. the only movies that get made anymore are indie movies that are made for two million dollars your Moonlights or your Rise of Skywalkers. Their studios are making... Million. Yeah, studios are making less and less of the fifty million dollar movies, right? Unless, and the only re, the only way they do make those fifty million dollar movies is if they are uh, attached to DC, like Joker. Like Joker was seen as a huge like they don't make movies of that budget anymore. Studios mm -hmm. don't like to do that, but since it was Joker, they they said okay, we're we're more willing to take a bet on this than we are say a romantic comedy with two two leads mm -hmm. you know you're getting far less the middle movie <laughs> well hopefully that's that's a, a, a an ailment that streaming can help solve yeah. because i mean this i doubt this is gonna do like this is for a specific audience i doubt it's gonna do any numbers for netflix you know but if more places are willing to give a middle budget to a more mm -hmm. artistic director who's like has like a small record maybe we can uh get some more interesting shit like this because you know i wouldn't own this in my own collection for uh entertainment purposes like i i would never buy this to watch again but if i was like teaching a fucking screenwriting class or if i was educating someone about mm -hmm. film and plays and writing and art i would fucking buy it and be like watch this mm -hmm. it's a fucking master class in in writing well, and even yeah, if it's not necessarily enjoyable as a film. Yeah, and I, I mean, 
I don't know. Netflix called me up personally and told me that it's the most streamed thing that's ever been released on the internet of all time. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, they called me up and said, hey, did you know that (laughs) I'm thinking of... (laughs) I'm thinking of ending things is actually the most watched thing wow. that's ever been released unto humankind. Wow, TW T- Netflix called you personally, and and I said, "Whoa!" <laughs> I said, "Whoa!" Can can I see like the numbers on that? And they went, "No," and hung up. Well, I mean, <laughs> gotta take their word for it. And then he a guy is in the a streaming baron. And then a guy in a black suit with a big red N on his chest ran into my room and spit in my mouth. Whoa. Did he do the dun sound as he left? Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, take that for what you will, but. And you said thank you, like a good American. Yeah. Yeah, I did. No, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would hold my breath. I mean, because the main, the main sort of exercises we've seen with Netflix doing this is with already established directors, like your your Spike Lee's. Right. You know, mm-hmm. they're the stuff that they do kind of gamble on with sort of you know unknowns is largely you know pretty pedestrian you know uh you get you get standouts every once in a while like your stranger things or whatever where like that's like a huge breakout smash thing right you yeah. know and but yeah you know yeah i don't know there if if the movie industry is already something that was that was built on number crunching and making things by committee netflix is not going to make that situation any better by virtue of mm-hmm. how it already operates you know, so yeah. I mean, yeah, they're they're they are giving money to people and letting them do whatever they want, and that's also part of like their volume strategy. But mm-hmm. you know that I don't I don't think it's it's under any illusion of going like oh we want we want you to go create art. It's like no, we just want the next Kaufman movie to be a Netflix exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and if that's how they get money, then I don't really give a fuck. You know, but you know, as far as like the intention driving it one way or the other. You know, it, it, it's going to be notables. You might get, like, a PTA. Because you've got, like, Scorsese that now has done an exclusive yeah, right? thing. He railed about it for yep. years, and now he's got two. Yep. Uh, uh, and uh, Bong Joon-ho, you know, like, with Okja. You know, like, yeah, there's they're, they're right? swinging dicks that, you know, say, you know, that they, they're doing a Netflix exclusive. So, yeah, what do you do? Or, I mean, even look at Taika Waititi, which kind of, he went the backwards route, where he got to do, with three or four very small New Zealand mm-hmm. comedies. And then he got to do Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. and it was only because he did so well doing a fucking giant-ass Marvel movie that they said, okay, we'll let you make your uh, for, uh, your $20 million uh, Nazi comedy. You know, he only got to make Jojo Rabbit because he got to make the Marvel movie first. Mm-hmm. And, before, and, you know, 20 years ago, that's not how it would have happened. He would have had yeah. to make three Jojo Rabbit-sized successes before he was even considered for a job in the, in, making, like, a big tent. In the in the vein of of the Marvel movies, does does Ragnarok, is that notable in, in either side of the the gross spectrum? With, oh, yeah, it did. It did, it did really well? Okay, yeah, because, I mean, yeah. Cause some, yeah, sometimes those are, those are, you know, cult cult favorites, and then sometimes they're better, you know. Sometimes I think it, they get better reception because I like them more. <laughs> like, like I, right. I can't give you the numbers on if Guardians actually does perform better than anything else, but I think it should because they're better. <laughs> after, after the first Avengers came out, Marvel's kind of the anomaly where pretty much after that, they're they're not having any anything make less than like two hundred million dollars. Even things like Thor two still did well, fine. Yeah. 
Thor 2 setup um, was like one of the first setups for the Infinity Stones. So it's like that was a necessary, even if it's like kind of the worst one, it is like the setup for the rest of the fucking universe. But that, I also that think time. that allows them to go, okay, we're not really worried about these movies not making their budget back. They can mm -hmm. worry about the world building and setting up for, you know, 10 years down the road when they're going to do an end game. <laughs> Right. Versus having to be like, okay, if one of these they they had made the Avengers so so successfully that they didn't have to worry about if one of these doesn't work, then the entire thing crumbles. Right. And pretty much it was such a you know, Marvel was such a brand name after that point that any of those movies that they released were going to be number one that weekend. They were gonna break and kill in kill in China no matter what. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yep. Well, and that was the thing. Like me and me and my roommate were discussing. Like, what what is the top grossing film of 2020? And we went and looked up uh, the the list. Trolls. No, it's Bad Bad Boys Three. Bad Boys for Life. Yep. Oh, it, it right had now. a really long run in theaters, and that was before lockdown. Yeah, it it made well over half a billion dollars. Um, uh, yeah, internationally, it, it crushed. It very well maybe the top grossing movie of the year uh, came out in January. I, I don't see that changing in the next few months uh -uh. honestly I no. not not even nope. not even Dune which well, you know by all accounts it's a good movie too oh sure so I'm sure it's I, fine yeah I mean I mean yeah Will Smith is generally good in things even even mm -hmm. even, <laughs> even if the movie itself is not great you know people will go see Will Smith in a movie because he's in it right tell that to Ang Lee oh, oh <laughs> I don't want to talk to Ang Lee <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't have the heart to tell him. Yeah, neither do studios anymore. Yeah. Apparently. Aww. Sorry. I'm sorry. Aww. I liked Gemini Man. I thought it was stupid, but I thought it was fun. I think my girlfriend is as along the same lines as you. She. I think she said something about like didn't really like the end, but she likes the majority of the movie. So I was like, oh well, I'll have to watch it one day. And I just have not yet had the inkling to do nah. it. Yeah. I read that that movie. It was a movie that was written in 1994, and I said, I knew that before you told me that. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's very obviously a movie that they wanted to make in 1994 and have just been waiting for the technology to catch up and never changed the script. <laughs> because it definitely feels like like a mid-90s action movie. But what was the, what was the with fucking... With all those sensibilities. Was it 47 Ronin or whatever, the, Ke the Keanu Reeves? Oh, that was yeah. that I had such high hopes, and I wish I could have seen... Uh, I want the Snyder cut on that. Like you know what's insane? I I think it's Lionsgate who owns that. Really? They con they they put out represses of that constantly to the point that it has a 4K release now. I'm like, who is that for? The movie bombed. It, it, it did not do well <laughs> in any respect. I I was there. We were, we there. were there. We saw. We it. did. And we went. That that was the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because like there's some cool shit in it, but it is a confused mess. Yeah, sure. Is. And that that's got a 4K pressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, I would love to see, you know, the Japanese cut of it, you know, rather yeah. than all the films that were reshot in English or whatever. Like, I would I would rather mm -hmm. watch Keanu Reeves speak Japanese. <laughs> that's, right, because he did the whole yeah, time. that's what I want to see. I mean, like, and I bet, like, Rinko Kikuchi's, like, witch character in that is so much more spooky uh -huh. if she's actually speaking Japanese. That was the cool. that was, like, the coolest part of the whole fucking movie. I, I, my girl Rinko, and then I was, like, yeah. I was all hyped after Pacific Rim, and I was like, oh, this is poopy bad. Oh, oh well. Anyway. Poopy bad. <laughs> I don't know how we, how, I don't know how we got on 47 Ronin while we're talking about, uh, about this, but. We meandered. We, <laughs> yeah, we <are. laughs> 
we can we can wheel on back towards I'm thinking of anything. Well, we we digressed into uh, the fact that something like a guy like Charlie Kaufman really only existed like was only able to exist like 30 years ago, and so like he doesn't he couldn't exist now as our current mm-hmm. situation. But you know it's 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 a, a a blessing of our yeah time that like that happened because he keeps he's got that established clout. So even if it takes him forever to do something, he's still able to do it. There's going to be someone mm-hmm. who funds him because everything is so, you know, even if a big studio won't fund him to do something, there's some indie boutique studio that's going to, you know, or a big streaming service that's going to give him the money to do whatever because either they're giant film nerds or literary nerds or they know that those yeah. people are the ones who want to see that. You'd like to think that the people out there making business decisions are still people who enjoy movies. Right. <laughs> Which, they, you know, they do exist out there. It's just harder to see in, you know, current studio climate. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's still guys like it's... Denis Villeneuve that, you know, Ooh, give, right? us, give us, just give us, just, just beautiful, beautiful rosebuds every other year. And, and, yeah. and studios now view him as a bankable quality, so... You know, great, mm-hmm. good. Let him go forth and conquer. Even when Blade Runner did very poorly, like that mm-hmm. movie bombed really hard, but they're you know, they trust him so, enough. There's so much still. confidence in him that he's a good filmmaker that they still let him make movies. Well, and again, I think the mm-hmm. right people gave a shit about it and loved it. So, I mean, that's yeah, that's exactly. that's more in the box they're trying to check. I think. Yeah, Blade Runner uh, was never like the super critical hit either, wasn't it? It was mostly a cult classic. Yeah. But beloved by film nerds everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing about I'm um, uh, thinking of ending things that I thought was really well done and creeped me out really, 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 really well was the, the old age makeup on oh. both Tony Collette and David Thoey's mm-hmm. because it was so... First of all, they are both like such incredible actors that them playing Alzheimer's mm-hmm. to a point is very very believable and the makeup applications that are put on them are done mm-hmm. so well and so it changes from shot to shot but just like so slightly that you're you're sitting there going did that change in from the last shot did mm-hmm. he just get like three years older which I'm sure he did like yeah. it's changing within the scene. There's no constant there, but it's so creepy. And it, it, that was the thing. Is this? There's not really any straight up horror jump scares or anything in right. this movie. But I, the feeling of dread and creepiness <laughs> throughout the entire thing. It felt like the entire movie felt like the buildup of the dinner scene in Hereditary, yeah. but for two hours. Well, it was that sort of like feeling in the pit of my stomach well and i think of the build up and i think another uh, point that uh, that particular thing is trying to make is you know when she is so outwardly grossed out you know when when it when the shift happens or whatever mm-hmm. and then there's that heel turn where all of a sudden it's like Oh, you're such a sweet boy for taking care of your mom. We we throw away our elderly. You're a, mm-hmm. you're a good man for taking care of your mm-hmm. mom. You know, it's it's supposed to, you know, I guess maybe reflect the initial audience thing of like getting creeped out by like that bed's no good for fucking. 
you know, and then and then you're like, right. and then still going like, oh well, we shouldn't throw away our elderly people, and kind of reinforcing like, oh yeah, you're an idealized version that's not gonna judge me mm-hmm. for being uh, you know overly attached. Well, not even overly attached, but sort of you know having a considerable portion of my life being taken care of my elderly parents that are very scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read this really interesting theory that I think is I think is pretty much on the nose what's what's kind of happening in the movie I mean as far as anyone can know that's not Charlie Kaufman but it was like positing the idea that you know it it is I'm pretty sure it's at this point guaranteed that it is Jake is the janitor and the mm-hmm. whole car ride is you know Lucy is a fantasy and all that but it's like a it's a we're witnessing like every iteration of that fantasy to ever happen but it's like even he's such a smart person that even in his fantasies he's arguing with himself about like how wrong he might be in any situation so like you seeing every different like iteration of the parents is him like every time he's like oh it'd be great if I could bring like a girl home to meet my family and then he can never agree on like the right time to meet them because they're always unsettling or bad in some way mm-hmm. so like they keep constantly changing it's like where could I bring her in on in this timeline where like it would be a nice pleasant like thing for the two of us and it never is so it's like constantly his psyche fighting back against him about like no you wouldn't you wouldn't have a good time here this is bad <laughs> Every time he tries to change the narrative, well, and and the it's like whole, oh, and then also kind of being brought back more towards a grounded reality. Anytime it's sort of like there was like a UCB sketch of this uh, this lady. It's like the most boring lucid dreamer ever, where she's like mm. you know realizes that she's like in a dream and she can do whatever she wants, but still ends up enduring like the most mundane things or whatever. Like mm-hmm. oh, I'm gonna take a plane to Tahiti. Oh, I'll take a mai tai. Oh, you only have daiquiris. That's fine. You know, like just keeps encountering things that she Uh can change because it's a lucid dream and then continues to just Uh you know have it still be a roadblock it's like when they're going to get their little you know ice cream treat or whatever and he's scared Mm -hmm. of the girls that work there Mm. because they're mean you know and it's like you know even in this fantasy world where you can just like make her go up and pay for everything or whatever and you know in in sort of uh avatar experience the the compassion that you show for like the weird little girl with rashes on her arms or whatever like Mm -hmm. you know you as the audience have your audience avatar to go through that experience but it's still throwing it in your face that like you know he's he's having a fantasy but he's too too yeah too smart you know like too too grounded Uh in these things to let it let him get too far away you know. It's literally in his head, but he's too in his head with his own fantasy where it can't be good because he's he understands too much of what would actually be the case. Like, I thought a great... Once I started thinking about it, I thought one of the best examples of that is the original setup of Lucy being a, a, like a poet and a painter where when she goes to show her paintings on her phone to the parents, David Thewlis is like, this is bullshit, I don't understand. You know, whatever, that's when you go see like the basement and his like childish versions of those paintings it's like she he she is showing like the most fully rendered realized version of what he could never do and right. even then like he realizes that like his dad would still never get it would still yeah. never understand mm-hmm. it's like boy this is just it is so uncomfortable and just sad 
This movie is like the encompass, the encompassment, and everything fucking sad that could ever happen in your life mixed welcome, together. Welcome to Charlie Kaufman. Well, and yep. I mean, even sort of that last—that is a sad man. Well, like the last like musical number that feels like very surreal in that like from yeah. from it's Oklahoma. Oklahoma. It's mostly it's Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah, and and so you know, if if we are to suppose that this is this is reality for him, you know, it's like it's not mm-hmm. like just like a stage performance thing or whatever. Like he is sort of embodying this old man at the at the end of his life, and and it's a culmination of all this hard work and everything. But I did everything for for love, and and sort of the meta thing of like this is a high school production of this where where he is mm-hmm. like the lead ostensibly or whatever at the end you know getting mm-hmm. to do the old man song which is you know a time honored right. musical thing uh but he's getting to do that and and he's you know in this high school production where he's the star he's ha- he has mm-hmm. this natural talent he's he's got this thing that he didn't have to work at he's just good at singing and up on the stage and in real life he's this old man that has you know done all these great things and it's all been in the name of love and the entire audience is also old old people that can empathize with the situation and go like we get it we we get you jake and and then there's a standing ovation for him and all of his natural talents and all the good things that he ever did in his life for the name of love which doesn't happen because he's an old sad janitor man (laughs) emma I have not seen Oklahoma, but it's one of Emily's favorites, and she kind of explained to me that that particular song is sung by one of the villains mm. at like, and right he he's kind of like a perv, and he discover and he's admitting that he's kind of a perv, and then immediately after that song he goes and hangs himself. Oh, so it's not even like the star or supposed to be like the big musical like triumphant number <laughs> in that play. Mm. But it, the movie kind of presents it as, as because that. it is for yeah. him. Because it, it is for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I thought that was interesting. What a f- what a fucking yeah! What a, what a fucking <laughs> film! Yeah. What what other movie has got uh, a recitation of a nineteen forties film review, large swaths of Oklahoma, and like talks of of physicists. <laughs> Oh boy. The the Oklahoma like the last like the the fully musical dance number is like so beautifully done. And it is I I mean it was it's very it's very pretty. And I was like, "Oh, is this the way this movie ends?" And then it still had a little bit of a disturbing way to go to close that out. Mm-hmm. I was like, "It's it's incredibly pretty the way that like a lot of this is shot and like told in that way. You wouldn't expect a movie that's like uh, mostly back and forths in a car or like at a dinner table to then end up being like this really pretty musical dance number at the end that's like signifying what's going on in the in the man's mind. Right. No, uh, yeah. I really enjoyed um, the <laughs> a that the the pig is voiced by uh, Oliver Platt, yeah. uh, <laughs> which yeah. I really enjoy, and the character of the pig. And that little interaction at the end when he's just, like, walking mm-hmm. naked through the, the bit. I guess that's actually, uh, like, a, a symptom of hypothermia is that you do, like, you know, when mm-hmm. it's really intense, you strip your clothes off. Um, mm-hmm. It's, like, some weird, like, counter-reaction in your body where you feel super hot. Or some some weird shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's confirming that he dies of hypothermia in the car, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. uh, well, I yeah. love when he's, like, trying to be like, oh, you're, you're, so, you're so wonderful. He's like, I'm just a pig. 
And I'm like, ah, we're all just pigs. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks, <We're> Alter. All <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so there was there were some moments of kind of like you know sort of cinephilia that way. You know, there, where mm-hmm. there were some yeah. there was some room for kind of a pleasant moment. You know, but by and large, it is it is trying to make you uncomfortable because this whole guy's whole headspace is uncomfortable all the time. You know, and yeah. and, and I did that. I really liked the. Um, the last monologue from Lucy where she like to the janitor where she is like explaining who she is without saying it and then also like like giving him his slippers back and it's like it's it's a really pretty and devastating moment I it's cried. like yeah if you yeah if you didn't know like if you hadn't figured it out yet that's I mean that's as close as telling you mm-hmm. as it does and that's the character also like accepting that truth at the same time yeah i think that line it was it was, it was emotional i was yeah. like at midnight and like i i was caught up in trying to understand what was being said but i almost got teary-eyed myself for i was like oh fuck this is the most depressing thing well and and it's it's absolutely what he needs you know uh, yeah mm-hmm. by the same token but and 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 this this avatar that he's created it it does it have compassion you know does have empathy because mm-hmm. you know all of the, all of these women were were you know ostensibly good people and in, in you know most mm-hmm. rights you know so the just the sort of sheepishness where she's kind of like you know it's like asking me to you know describe a mosquito that bit me on an evening 40 years ago like i don't it was a it was as brief an interaction as you could ever hope to have she calls him like a creep kind of a pervert yeah i mean like and, and <laughs> yeah it's like that was her one if if he was being honest with himself that's the only thing that that woman the actual person would have known about him and then he then goes on to idealize himself in the last song too <laughs> but she literally says it to his face and he's like oh, i guess i guess you're right huh and that's part of the tragedy sometimes is that there are yeah. there are these like brilliant insightful sensitive emotional people out there that never ever find love ever and they died alone yeah. and yeah it's good to get reminded <laughs> of that on a very visceral level every once uh-huh. in a while i guess yeah <sighs> <laughs> oh okay anyway <laughs> You, you thought, listen, Andy. You signed up for this. Yeah, I know. I, this might have taken the uh, the the spot from uh, from a serious man for least hopeful ending. <laughs> oh, yeah. I watched the whole credits just to see if something else was going to happen Mm-mm. other than just the shot in the car. I was like, man, Sorry. this is fucking bleak. Nope. Just real tiny font. Yeah. <laughs> Go look real close to see who did the cinematography. Real tiny courier <laughs> font. Yep. Uh. Well, that was Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And you know what? I'm thinking of maybe ending the podcast here pretty soon. So, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Smooth. Yeah. I'm always looking for them smooth transitions. Call me Sade because I'm a smooth operator. (laughs) Yeah. um, Uh, How do you delete someone else's audio? (laughs) Uh, hey, it's okay. Google. My computer's my computer has been doing its damnedest to delete my audio the entire time we've been recording anyway. So <laughs> we'll see if this makes it up. But uh, what's if anybody out there wants to get in contact with us? I, I say it every week. I'm hoping that somebody out there wants to get in contact with us. Please, <laughs> there's a couple ways you can do it. You can uh, you can send us a tweet 
on Twitter at NSAOTPod. Or you can send us an email to NeverSeenAnyOfThisPod at gmail.com. And, and now that you mention the, the, the Gmail, we, we got an email, didn't we? We sure did. We yeah. sure... It's, we sure did, and it's very—it's a very short, yeah. demanding email. It's, it's, I mean, to the point. Yeah, it's good. Yes, um, but it, yeah, you ask—people out there are asking for it. You will, we will be doing an episode here shortly on hardcore Henry. Oh, so. fuck! Yep. Yeah. yeah, that'll be good. Uh, yeah. If you ask, we will do it. We are here to surf. Yeah. Well, and that's TJ. Did you watch the? Have you watched the movie? Yes. I have not. I have not seen. Okay. The movie. Uh, so you're the only one who has. I've also seen the so biting seems- elbows video. So. And oh, and, right. and that's uh, you know by my my estimate and again I'm going to reserve judgment but you know four and a half minutes is about as long as one of these things ought to be so uh, well we'll see if my opinion <laughs> has changed uh, in the interim. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be good. I'll just go. I'll just light a cigarette, then and then get and start talking about how it's the most well planned out thing in the world, but it goes nowhere. And uh, <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I don't have anything else to say. No, I'm good. <laughs> all right, boys. Well, this has been. I've uh, never seen any of this. We'll be back next week with another episode, but until then, we'll just say bye. Me.